Welcome to Israel from the Inside, where we try to break out of the echo chamber, surfacing the wide array of often conflicting viewpoints that make up the mosaic of Israeli life. I'm Daniel Gordas of Shalem College in Jerusalem. Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can subscribe to these podcasts and join our community of listeners and readers, access the archive of all these episodes, and post comments, interacting with others who share your interest in Zionism, Israel, and the future of the Jewish state. Over the past months, as we have been looking at the very, very complicated situation in Israel, and we've been looking at it historically, what did the Aharon Barak Supreme Court really change and what did it not change? We've looked at it legally. What does the reasonability clause actually say? What does it not say? Which legal scholars are in favor of changing some of the current situation? Which of them think that it should not be changed at all? Who's in favor of the proposed reforms? Who's against? We've looked at it politically. We've looked at it in all sorts of ways. And one of the issues that has come up time and again with people that we have interviewed or in columns that we've written is the question of to what degree is this really, to some extent, about the Mizrahi part of Israeli society looking to take power in society that has long been withheld from them. The argument, as it's often made, is that we're talking about breaking down some of the bastions of Ashkenazi uh, hegemony, so that the Supreme Court has always been highly Ashkenazi, and we're going to break that down. Uh, certain other elements of Israeli society have long been Ashkenazi strongholds, and we're going to try to change that through changing the judiciary. Now, we've heard that argument from some people, and in written columns, we've cited it when it's been written by other people. But we have also heard a few of, of the people on the podcast say, you know what, I don't buy that. I really just don't get that this is Mizrahi Ashkenazi. It's not religious secular, that's for sure. It's not even exactly right-left. But it's also not Mizrahi Ashkenazi, and what it would then be is a whole other question. But we've heard people talk about this who are very knowledgeable and deeply thoughtful about Israeli society, but none of them have been actual scholars of the issue of Mizrahim in Israeli life, which is why I'm just delighted and grateful to have with us today uh, Dr. Guy Abutbul Selinger. Uh, Dr. Guy Abutbul-Selinger is a scholar of this particular field, uh, himself a person of Mizrahi extraction, as he'll explain to us very shortly, married, as he writes in an article in Haaretz a few months ago, uh, to a woman who is Ashkenaziah. Uh, but here is his very impressive biography. Dr. Guy Abutbul-Selinger is the dean of the, of the Bnei Brak campus at the College of Management in Israel. He holds a BA in psychology, sociology, and anthropology an MA in Cultural Sociology from Ben-Gurion University of the Negev, and he completed his PhD at the Sociology Department at Brandeis University and postdoctoral studies at the School of Education at Tel Aviv University. Obviously highly accomplished. His research deals with everyday ethnicity in the Israeli middle class by ethnic families in Israel and everyday dimensions of the Israeli-Palestinian 
conflict. He is widely published, and we will put up some links to some of his articles with this podcast, so you can go take a look for yourself. Uh, I would love to hear what he has to say about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, but we're going to come back to that perhaps another time. Uh, we want to hear about today is, first of all, without speaking at all about judicial reform or the judicial overthrow, depending on who you ask, let's just learn a bit about the status of Mizrahim in Israeli society from someone who has focused on it and from someone who has what I would call a somewhat unorthodox view uh, in light of what many people say. So first of all, uh, Dr. Abu Bussellinger, thank you so much for being with us. It's really an honor. Tell us a little bit more about yourself, and then let's dive into the basic research that you've been doing for a very long time. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's a great honor to, to speak with you about uh, Mizrahim in Israel and about uh, the, the, the reform. Uh, my, my research is actually dealing with the Mizrahi middle class. And I believe that the Mizrahi middle class is very important to the Israeli society because on the one side, it is Mizrahi, but on the other side, it is middle class. And the turning of minorities into middle class has is is described in many countries as leading to a de ethnicization. Uh, meaning that uh, in the moment that the person turned to be a middle class, his uh, ethnicity is became less significant. It became thin ethnicity. It became symbolic ethnicity. And so uh, my, my research tried to understand what is the meaning, what is the influence of being a middle class has on the conflict um, between uh, Mizrahim and, uh, and Ashkenazim in, in Israel. Okay, now before we go first, let me just ask you a question that I'm sure many of our listeners are thinking. What percentage of Mizrahim in, well, first of all, what percentage of Israeli Jews are Mizrahim today? About 35, 36% of, uh, of, the, uh, of uh, the Israeli population. Of the whole Israeli population, right? Yeah, and Ashkenazi Jews are about 25, 26% of uh, of the Israeli population. Okay, so Mizrahim are a larger group these days than Ashkenazim. What percentage of the Mizrahi population is middle class, would you say? Uh, about two-thirds. So okay. we're talking about a phenomenon here that really does characterize the Mizrahi population. It's not a small slice that's become uh, middle class. It's it's. The, it's the it's the chunk. It's 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 a big piece of them. And so, whatever you're going to describe for us as having happened in middle class uh, Mizrahi life is going to speak about a huge number of people in Israel these days. Exactly, and it's it's related to my main thesis. And the thesis that is that uh, the Israeli elite, the the Ashkenazi elite, actually enabled uh, Mizrahi Jews to become middle class and we know historically that in countries that um, like in the US and in many countries in, in Europe when the elite didn't want the minorities to be a middle class it, it, it it's actually blocked them but in Israel because we have this 
האידיאולוגי of מיזוג הגלויות, המלגמיישן of the exiles, it's a very legitimate to enable מזרחים to, to be a middle class. So, uh, so there were many processes, social and cultural processes, that enabled מזרחים to be mobile and actually beca- become a, a middle class. And this is... very important and when I interview for Haaretz uh, one of my main goals was to say to the to these two groups you should look at, at, at the situation from a more positive point of view. Uh, Mizrahi Jews on the one hand uh, in, in a very short time in five or six decades were able to To do uh, a significant mobilization and become became very influential in in the Israeli society uh, I call them the second hegemony in the Israeli society and for Ashkenazi Jews I want to say um, you did a, a good job in actually open the gates and letting the the Mizrahi Jews to became mobile many elites in different countries didn't do that. So uh, I, I, I think I, I, I want to look in, in, in a more positive way about the, uh, the, uh, uh, um, the legal reform in, in Israel. Okay, we'll come back to the legal reform. Tell us something about the processes by which Mizrahim um, moved into the middle class. I mean, we all know David Ben-Gurion was not pushing Mizrahim into the middle class. Right. I mean, David Ben-Gurion was pushing Mizrahim to the outer reaches, literally geographically, of Israel. We know that he had a rather disparaging attitude towards Mizrahi culture. Uh, thank God, you're pointing out, over the course of time, that attitude changed. In the last five or six decades, you say that the Ashkenazim have kind of opened the gates and Mizrahim have done very well. What were the actual processes? Was it education? Was it changing their geographic location? What enabled the Mizrahim to become middle-class Israelis? Um, there were several processes. Um, uh, the, the, the first one is, of course, the ideological one. And uh, from an uh, ideological point of view, because of this uh, ideology of exile, of the amalgamation, amalgamation of the exiles, um, then it, it was very legitimate for Ashkenazi Jews to get married uh, and, and to uh, enable Mizrahim actually to uh, have a position in, in the labor market, in the academy, in, in, in uh, the political sphere. Uh, that was the, the first process. In 1977, with the rise of Begin, was a very uh, a significant process uh, um, point at a time because the rise of the Likud and later of Shas um, enabled uh, uh, lowered many political and economic barriers and so uh, the, the Likud uh, appointed many uh, ministers and member Knesset and mayors um, the capit- capitalization of Israel and It's released from the socialist uh, hold of the of the Istadrut and enabled many Mizrahim 
to become independent uh, and uh, enable them, enable them to open uh, stores and uh, small organizations. Uh, and another uh, uh, social process that was very important was actually the conquering of the occupied territories in 67 because until 1967 Mizrahim were uh, uh, positioned mainly in the lower ranks of the labor market now the occupation of the the territories uh, made uh, many Palestinians uh, from the occupied territories coming to Israel and they actually replaced the the Mizrahim in the lower ranks and actually put push them up uh, at the, the uh, labor uh, uh, leather and because uh, many of uh, Israel actually didn't give you know social rights to these Palestinians so many many Mizrahim open you know these small stores small groceries small organization took Palestinians paid them you Uh, like very uh, uh, low wages and actually it's enabled them to do a huge mobilization. Uh, another very important uh, uh, process was the open of the colleges throughout Israel, community colleges in, in the 90s. Until the 90s, the thresholds for the entrance of Mizrahi into the Uh, into the U- Israeli universities was too high and there uh, yeah let me just let me just interrupt you for one second and just give people a little bit of background if they don't know about this Israel has uh, a, a like more more or less two different uh organized two different groups of higher education institutions it has universities a very small number of universities Hebrew University Barilan Reichman Tel Aviv Haifa Ben Gurion and And I might have missed one but that's basically it and as as uh, dr Abu Bullinger is pointing out uh, there's a relatively small number of universities very very competitive to get in and at a certain point in the 90s Israel began to do what we would call in America something like community colleges but whereas in America community colleges uh, you know or let's say very often two-year colleges in Israel the colleges are just another higher education system not quite as competitive to get into as the universities but they offered full degrees they were there were there were the same length of time in many cases as the other degrees so if people didn't know about that that's what he's referring to here so sorry for the interruption go on ahead no it was a wonderful and very important interruption uh, it's important to say that um, because there are only five Israeli universities until the Uh, 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 Ariel University became a, a I university. Ariel. Right. Thank you. And many uh, 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 scholars, many professors such as myself were not able to get a position in the Israeli universities because uh, there weren't many positions. So these colleges are uh, are very, very uh, good ones. I mean, There are a lot of professors who were uh, studying at UCLA and UCSD and Harvard and Berkeley and Brandeis and, and other universities who are teaching actually at the colleges because they don't have uh, um, uh, places in, in the universities. So these colleges are 
they're really wonderful. They're doing a lot of research. Now, many of the Mizrahi adolescents were not able to, uh, to enter into the universities until the 90s uh, because the, 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 the Mizrahi education system, uh, well, until the 90s, there was still an ethnic geographic segregation and many Mizrahi adolescents learn in a Mizrahi education system. However, at the 90s, the opening of the colleges enabled these Mizrahi adolescents, enabled a large population of, of the Mizrahim to get a, a degree, a very good degrees. And so it enabled them to do a wonderful mobility within the labor market. Let me just ask you, I really don't know the answer to this. This is not rhetorical at all. What percentage of the students in the universities, not the colleges, but the universities, what percentage of those students among the Jews, let's leave Arabs and so forth out for a second, what percentage of the Jews are Mizrahi now in the universities? Well, th- th- this is a very tough question. Well, the last time, you know, the, the last findings that, that I saw uh, was like 10 years ago, and it, it's really uh, significant because 10 years in, you know, in, in the Israeli pace, it's, it's a lot of time. But still, the, um, the, these findings show that uh, the, the, the ratio between Ashkenazi and Mizrahim on the BA is 4 to 1. On the four to MA, one, 4 to 1 Ashkenazim. Yeah, yeah. On the MA, 6 to 1. On PhD nine to one, lecturer, uh, faculty members, it's eleven to one. Wow! So we still have we have a way uh, to go. Yeah. Now, what about and that's both forget people should listen. You know, people who are listening should remember that that's despite the fact that the Mizrahim actually outnumber the Ashkenazim in the population. How about in the colleges? What's the ratio of Ashkenazim and Mizrahim among the students in the colleges? Would you say? Uh, so I don't have this this number. I don't think that there is a, a research that was done mm-hmm. about it. But uh, I mean, uh, if if he will go to any college, you know, the college that I'm teaching, College of of Management or the Tel Aviv Yafo uh, College, you would or- see very clear that you know the. For for example, the College of Management, the students are coming mainly from uh, Rishon LeZion, Chulon, mm-hmm. Batyam, Jaffa. Which are heavily, heavily Mizrahi cities. Exactly, exactly. So, um, but but I I don't think that there is a, a survey that that is done like in in the in in the universities. Interesting. Okay. So so this process actually. Uh, created a new ethnic reality in Israel since the 1980s. So my main argument in this article, one of the things that I'm really, really delighted about this article is that no one actually came and gave another thesis about my findings I mean, people would, you know, would argue, you know, that I'm I'm whitewashed, and you know, well, you're just like sure, you're you're whitewashing. They would say because you're arguing that the whole victimization narrative of the Mizrahim has to go because it's just not true anymore. 
Exactly. But so you know, there is a lot of criticism about the article, but there is no criticism about the findings. And I'm I'm really, really happy about it because I think that for in in, in from some perspective, the uh the Israeli scholars uh were able to see that the, the ethnic reality is different. So again, my main theory was that the current ethnic discourse in Israel, that the public and, and the, 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 the discourse in the media remains stuck on the image of Mizrahim as victims or Mizrahim as belong to the marginalized parts of, of Israel. And this is not uh, true. And this is not true. It, it so is we're not hearing true. a lot these days, and I don't want to get to the reform yet. I want to hear more about your research and your findings, but just... Uh, we hear a lot in the last six months that this whole judicial reform thing has been going on about what we call Ezrachim Sugbet, uh, you know, class B citizens. People saying that the Mizrachim feel like they are class B citizens. And you're saying that's not true. Are you saying both A, they are not class B citizens, and B, they do not feel like class B student, citizens? Or are you saying one or the other? I would say that I have few debates with uh, Avishai Ben Chaim. Right, Avishai Ben Chaim wrote a very important, well, not important, but he wrote a very widely read book called Yisrael Hashnia, uh, the second Israel, which argued that there was a tremendous sense of uh, being uh, held back, being put down, etc. Yeah, and actually what um, my argument was towards uh, Avishai Ben Chaim was that he has no evidence based. Uh, I mean, he, he doesn't bring any objective findings because he can't bring any objective findings about the Mizrahim as second Israel. There is marginalized Israel, but marginalized Israel is not Mizrahi. Who is marginalized, it? Marginalized Israel, the second Israel, is composed of Arab citizens, of ultra-Orthodox citizens, of uh, work immigrants, of Ethiopians, of Russians, and there are some Mizrahi who are part, but Mizrahi is not the majority of Second Israel. Ma the majority of Mizrahi belong actually to the first Israel. And so that's why Avishai Ben Chaim argument is not based on, on, on facts. It, it's more ideology than, than a research. And uh, I think this uh, his argument played very well to the needs of the, the right wing, but this is not an ethnic reality in Israel. And okay, so I want to come back to uh, the Likud. I mean, you mentioned the Likud in 1977, opening up uh, glass ceilings for Mizrahim. I'll just again point out to our listeners, there's a great irony in that, of course, because the person who founded Likud and was elected in 77 was Menachem Begin. And Begin was the ultimate Polish gentleman. I mean, there was no one more Ashkenazi than Menachem Begin, born in Poland, educated in Poland, raised in Poland. Uh, but at the same time, 
completely colorblind. So he always took great pride that in the Etzel, which was the underground military group that he ran, uh, there was no distinction between Ashkenazim and Mizrahim. And he used to say them Achim, he used to say brothers, we're all brothers, etc., etc. So there's this Polish gentleman who opens up the the, the ranks of the Likud. And uh, as you pointed out before, people in the Knesset, mayors, really opens the floodgates for Mizrahim. Uh, but the Likud is more right-wing. So tell me, Guy... Um, Mizrahim still tend to vote more right. Now, if they have made their way into the middle class, why are they voting more right, let's say, than Ashkenazi middle class people? I want to say also that Netanyahu is the most uh, Ashkenazi person that I can think of. I mean, Netanyahu grew up in in Merchavia, in Jerusalem, which was... uh, uh, you know, a, a neighborhood that um, composed mainly of Ashkenazi, not just Ashkenazi, but the Ashkenazi elite, and uh, a lot of Yekes, you know, German Jews. And, you know, he was studying, you know, and his boys were, were studying at Leyada, you know, the school that is actually belonged to the, to the Hebrew U. And like it's a very, very, very secular high school right next to Hebrew University. Yeah. Right, and yeah. it was Rechavia, the, the, the uh, neighborhood that you mentioned, Rechavia. I think it was Nathan Alterman, the famous poet, who has a poem in which he talks about Rechavia. And I think he says something like, the professor lives next to the doctor, or the doctor lives next to the professor. Exactly. I don't remember anymore the line. But <laughs> yeah. it was really, it was a stronghold of uh, university professors, Germans, Eastern Europeans who had made it. It was middle class, upper middle class, highly intellectual. Um, so yeah, that's the music. That's the world from which Netanyahu comes. So Netanyahu is also Ashkenazi. So why does this middle class Mizrahi, very powerful group now in Israel, why are they so um, consistently following Netanyahu? Okay, and and so this is also very uh, important for understanding the the judicial uh, uh, reform, uh, I, I would say that this is um, relate to the difference, a uh, point of, of view that is so different between Ashkenazi and, and Mizrahi. So, uh, so roughly secular Ashkenazi Jews are liberals, while lower class and part of the middle class Mizrahi Jews are communitarian or traditional these are different logic, different operation system, and and the main difference uh, uh, concerns whether the individual precedes the group or the group precedes the uh, the, the individual. Where whether hmm. your identity, belonging, and, and and moral, the meaning in life derive from yourself, or do they derive from the group? So I say, you know, just. To say a few words about the liberal worldview was it has guided Israel in in the past few decades, and it, it's based on the on the assumption that the individual is prior to the state and that the society in which he lives. Therefore, she has birthrights, rights that are natural, given, and they, they are shared by all, regardless mm-hmm. of, of religion, sex, class, or or ethnicity, and therefore we as as individual must eliminate boundaries and and refrain from from group and and national 
uh, uh, affiliation. So if you vote for someone because he's Mizrahi or Ashkenazi, or marry someone because he's Mizrahi or Ashkenazi, uh, uh, you are actually discriminating. You're putting boundaries to people, freedom, barriers to, to their skill. Uh, so liberals demands to, to remove barriers. And, 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 and uh, 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 so the people will be able to live in the same neighborhood, in the same schools, to serve together in the army, to marry each other. And liberal also... A demand to expand the 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 the, the, the borders of our, of our empathy, whether it's for victims of uh, uh, I don't know earthquake in Honduras or, or a civil war in Syria, because all human beings are equal. But And also, it would include Palestinians. Of course, you actually touch the the most. Uh, uh, debateful, uh, uh, um, issue between Mizrahi and Ashkenazi, the, 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 the point of, of Palestinians uh, to be... So, okay, so I, I, I'll just say what is a traditional or a communitarian worldview, and then, then I will, I'll speak about the Palestinians. So the communitarian worldview is based on the assumption that each person has worth, identity, and rights that are derived and related to the group To which he belongs, his family, his ethnic group, his, his national group. Thus, uh, 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 my value as, as an individual is not equal to that of other people as in the liberal view, but it's related to the community to which I belong. And uh, uh, therefore, th there are those whose value is greater and, and, and those that their value is lower. And given this symbiotic relationship between individuals worth and an identity and their community the, the the relationship between the individual and the community is stronger than a liberal society because my worth rights and identity depends on my community and that's why my empathy and my concern i are directed first of all towards my community And therefore, any harm to the community or to the members of the community is seen as harming me. Right, and so, they're kind of concentric circles of empathy. So the empathy is going to be targeted mostly towards the most inner circle and a little bit less to a, to a, a, consecutive, a, a second circle and so forth. And the further out you go, uh, the more diluted, I guess it could be said, the empathy exactly. is going to be. I mean, there's actually a Talmudic statement on the Yeyur HaKudmim You know, the, yeah. poor, the poor of your own city come first. Uh, by the way, I mean, there's people who would argue today that you actually can't care about everybody. You can't. In other words, you can't care passionately about people in an earthquake in Turkey and people who are suffering repression in a country and people suffering hunger somewhere else. At a certain point, it becomes so diluted that you actually don't do anything for anyone. So the question is, who are you actually going to spend your time, your money, your, your your resources and so forth on trying to actually help? But now let's zoom this in. I do want to come to the Palestinians if we can, but if we can't, we'll do it in another conversation. But let's talk about how all of this now, um, so in other words, you're arguing that they they have typically, the Mizrahim have typically voted Likud because Likud has been much more communitarian than it has been individualist liberal, exactly. right? Exactly. Exactly. When we look at the positions and, and values of the right as they are reflected in the public discourse, they are much closer 
to their communitarian worldview. And we can see that in, in various issues, the, the attitude towards Arabs and peace, the, uh, the law of nationality, uh, demolition of Palestinian homes, the, the status of the settlements, the question of foreign workers, we can see that the Israeli right-wing and national, nationalist discourse is, is seen as indeed taking care of the interests of the Jewish community, of, of the people of Israel. And, and the limits of its empathy are usually limited to those who belong to the Jewish people, whereas the left, with the liberal and, and democratic discourse of equal rights is seen as, as one that undermines the, the interest of the Jewish community and, and the privilege of, of the Jews. So the, the, the limits of, of the, the left's empathy are, are seen as universal, as universal, as exceeding the limits of the, of the Jewish collective. So from a, a, a Mizrahi point of view, uh, you know, uh, Mizrahi, uh, prioritize local solidarity and, and the interest of the Jewish community uh, over universal human solidarity. So that's why most of the lower class Mizrahim, uh, uh, these are the people that will go after Netanyahu nowhere, no, uh, no matter where he go, and part of the, the, the Mizrahi middle class. Because, you know, the middle upper class Mizrahim tend today to vote for the liberal side of the of, of the of politics. So they've sort of been Ashkenazified, right? They became liberal, exactly. When you're turning to be a middle class, uh, many times you're adopting liberal values because, you know, liberal class, when you work in organization, in the labor market, you don't care about uh, 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 you know, the group or the identity of, of the person that works with you. And when you're going to the academy, you know, academy is uh, the universities are uh, a nest of, of liberal discourses. Um, well, in many universities in, in Israel. But many of the lower class Mizrahim and part of the middle class Mizrahim they are communitarian and they prioritize local solidarity over universal solidarity. And because they perceive the right to be more communitarian and more taking care of the Jewish uh, 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 interests, then they vote for the, for the right wing. And this is actually what is so sophisticated about uh, 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 Benjamin Netanyahu because Netanyahu understand that very well and he played very well his trial to be parallel to the split between democratic, liberal and traditional communitarian. So the trial today is not dealing with Netanyahu. The trial today is framed around the split between democracy and Jewish, between liberal and communitarian values. And now, these, the, the middle class Mizrahim, who you said make up 60% of the Mizrahi world in Israel, right? Yeah, almost okay. 70. Yeah, almost okay, 70. so 60, 65, 70. Those, that middle class, where do they fall? 
on the issue of judicial reform now. What percentage of them support it? What percentage of them say some reform, but not this reform? What percentage of them are wholeheartedly behind, um, well, either Netanyahu, yes or no, but certainly Levin and Rothman and so forth? Where do the Mizrahim fall on this issue now? Okay, so the last finding, uh, the last research that was done was done by Momi Dahan from... Uh, the Institute for uh, Israel uh, uh, Democracy. And what he showed, I think, um, I'm I'm trying to remember, uh, was that um, between 50 and 60% of the Mizrahi middle class vote for the right, while um, between 30 and 40% of the Middle, uh, they they are the middle upper class of of Mizrahim. They are voting for the for the left. Mm-hmm. So what we can see, and this is related to to my orientation to deal with with mid, middle class, is that in the moment that you are turning to be more middle class, in the moment that you are turning to be more middle upper class, in the moment that you are. Uh, working in, in the moment that you have an uh, academic education, in the moment that you're working in the, in the high niches of the, the labor market, you will be more liberal. And I think that this, uh, what's uh, uh, Moti, uh, uh, Momi Dahan's findings are are showing, but this is only this is only the beginning of understanding. The, the Mizrahi uh, uh, middle class. We still need to do a lot of uh, uh, qualitative uh, surveys and uh, try to understand better uh, what influence uh, the, the, the political orientation of this, uh, of, of this class. However, it is important to note that this class, for the first time in, in, in history, is breaking the uh, the voting patterns, the historic voting patterns of Mizrahi Jews during the uh, 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 since the uh, 1977. They're beginning to vote more left. You're saying, yeah, yeah. That's very interesting because one of the things that you it's fascinating actually because one of the things that we hear often these days is well, even if the anti-reform protesters win this time, eventually you're going to lose because the demographics are just simply such that the Mizrahi world is growing percentage-wise, the Ashkenazi world is shrinking, and so eventually this is going to happen. But what you're saying is it ain't necessarily so, to quote the Broadway play, because what you're saying is that as the Mizrahi community grows, it's true, there'll be more, but they may make their way more into the middle class and they may find themselves voting very differently than certainly than their parents did, and maybe even then they are voting quite right now. So that the Mizrahi world may grow, but it may also shift gradually towards what we would call the left. Is that what you're saying? Exactly, exactly. Which what is really fascinating. I, yeah, what my uh, uh, findings are showing is that we have this heterogeneous middle class that is actually developed in <clears throat> what was... Uh, uh, before uh, Ashkenazi veteran middle class cities such as Herzliya, Ramat Sharon, Ramat Gan, Kiryat Ono, 
and this heterogeneous middle class, um, <clears throat> the third generation uh, of Mizrahi origin are actually don't care about ethnicity anymore because they're going to the same enrichment classes. They're going to the same schools. They live in the same neighborhoods. They have the same consumption patterns and the, the, the same, you know, tripping abroad and, and getting to know the world. And the, they're so similar from a sociological and cultural point of view. So the meaning of ethnicity is totally different. It is not salient ethnicities as it was in uh, before the 80s this is a thin ethnicity or a sim- uh, or or a symbolic ethnicity these guys you know when they're eating couscous the, the moroccan dish or eating jahnun which is the the yemenite dish or uh, doing a khina which is the pre marriage ceremony they, they they are you know playing with it they're laughing about it and, and they don't really they don't have these significant differences that were before the 80s. And this is so important. And actually, we have 40% of intermarriage. For Between the Ashkenazim and Mizrahim. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was very uh, uh, careful, and, and I said around 30%. But then Alex Weintraub from the Taub uh, uh, institute uh, showed his findings show that we have uh, over we have forty percent of intermarriage. So you know when people are speaking about a demographic that is going towards the right, they don't they don't really take into consideration the new ethnic reality. And what is happening with the Mizrahi middle class? The Mizrahi middle class is actually became the platform in which a new uh, Israeli identity is is created and 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 shaped. And I'm, I'm I'm not trying to say you know that there is no inequality, ethnic inequality. And, right, of course and, there is. There is. There is. Uh, uh, there, there is an overrepresentation of Mizrahim in colleges. Uh, there is still a, a, a geographical, ethnic uh, segregation, and uh, you know there is still uh, not enough Mizrahi electors in the Israeli Academy, in the Supreme Court, in in in, in certain sectors, mainly the the, the high tech sectors of the labor market. Of course, there is ethnic. Inequality, but at the same time, there are wonderful processes, and I'm saying it from a Zionist point of view. Mm-hmm. There are wonderful processes that are actually merging the communities and creating uh, a, a new, vibrant, uh, uh, an Israeli uh, identity, and I think that. What Avishai Ben Chaim is doing, I think that what Amsalem is doing, I think that what Netanyahu is doing is very, very dangerous because it's uh, 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 it's emphasizing the splits, it's emphasizing the historical in inequality, and they're not really putting 
you know, the lights into the new and, and, and amazing uh, uh, social processes that are ta- t- taking place in Israel. It's really just, it's so fascinating, this notion of putting the spotlight on the change of what's happening. Um, we could talk for much longer, and I hope we will. But this is really, I think, a very important corrective to some of the things that we're hearing. In other words, even if, by the way, some of the people in the Mizrahi world are voting or inclined to be pro the judicial reform, uh, what I'm hearing from you is that it's not necessarily because the Mizrahim are Azrahim Sugbet, they're second-class citizens, but because the values of communitarianism, which have typically not been the values of the Supreme Court, but which are the values that the Netanyahu political world espouses, are to a certain extent their values. And to the extent that people and I hear these comments all the time from people that write and people that post comments, and they're they're smart, thoughtful people. And what they say is, okay, maybe the the protesters will win this time. I don't know if they will or they won't, but that's a separate question. Eventually, you're going to quote unquote lose because the Mizrahi world is growing. And what uh, uh, Dr. Guy Abutbul Selinger I think is is so helpfully getting us to remember is that uh, what is an attitude of the Mizrahim today is not going to be the attitude of the Mizrahim in 20 years. The higher the education rates go, the higher the, the percentage that comes into the middle class, uh, the more the communitarian versus individualist boundaries are going to become blurred. And there's huge opportunities here for building a new Zionist narrative, which is shared much more across ethnic divides. Really, it's it's inspiring. It gives, it gives a certain renewed hope uh, in what is undoubtedly uh, a difficult and uh, stressful time in Israel. Uh, and Dr. Abut Bulsalinger, we just can't thank you enough. Uh, for in the middle of a very, very busy period for all of us and your research and your teaching, uh, for taking the time out to um, have this conversation with us. And I very much look forward to uh, continuing our conversation so we can learn more about other parts of your research. So thank you very much once again. Really fascinating. Thank you so much. And it was such a pleasure to have this dialogue with you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Israel from the Inside. Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can hear more of these episodes. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to explore, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Daniel Gordas.